the saddest thing in any cemetery is seeing the children that are buried there. There is one small stone, it's a little bit bigger than a pillow, but I would think only about an inch and a half thick, so it's really remarkable that it survived all these years. Um, in memory of Mary Isabella, child of David and Anne Lowe died September 1863, aged three years. Well, as immortality goes, it's really not that long ago, but someone just spoke her name. So it turns out that the theater where I've been doing this show in Perth, Ontario, used to be a car wash. And the car wash was built on a little piece of land next to an old cemetery. Sometimes when I want to do some vocal warm-ups but be outside, I'll pop into the graveyard through the gap in the iron fence on Craig Street and walk among the stones. On a hot and windy day this week, as you will hear, I recorded a few thoughts that occurred to me as I did, and as I had yet to do any real research on the place, thought I should annotate my little tour from my room here on Tom Street. And just across from that is a substantial stone, about a foot thick, the kind that you'd actually see if someone was buried today. In memory of Christina Campbell, wife of Peter Fisher. She died in 1870. And under that is written, and their two infant daughters. No names or dates for them. But that's the kind of uh, information that really makes one wonder what the story was. And for that matter, what happened to Peter Fisher? Look, it isn't that hard to walk into a graveyard and find the sad stories, and 19th century tombstones guarantee a high ratio of tragic childhood death anyway. So where's the sport in that? Wherever you're hearing this, there is likely to be an old cemetery like the one in Perth, probably next to an ancient church or on a road outside of the old downtown that few people travel anymore. In the first episode of Pretty Much, I talked about Toronto's necropolis and made the point that I didn't much care to be buried under a rock in a field. I'm pretty sure no one would visit after a while anyway, and the old burying ground in Perth backs that up. This is a stone that is flat on the ground 
and partially covered by the grass so that only the very center is readable and even the entire name and the dates and all the information can't be read in memory of Owen Hughes I think it says who Owen died in 18 something at aged 63 And then there's the whole notion of having a little plot of land within the cemetery just for your family, fenced off from the rest of the cemetery. I have to think they didn't think this through, because what I'm seeing is a little plot, maybe, I don't know, 10 feet by almost 20 feet fenced off with this wrought iron fence all around it with fleur-de-lis which intimidate anyone from climbing over but there's no gate that I can see that gets you in there so inside this thing there are well, I'm counting three tombstones. It's the Doran family. Sometimes spelled with an E on the end and sometimes not. And the inside is completely overgrown. I'm sure nobody has cut the grass in there for... I don't know how they would. Unless you went in there, hopped over with a scythe... So it's over a century of uncut grass. I'm not convinced this is what they had in mind when they said, yes, give me the fenced-in plot at the cemetery. It's kind of beautiful for all that. Definitely a little wilderness garden. But again, probably not what they had in mind. In another recording, I make the point that I am always alone when I visit this place, and that, unlike other cemeteries I've been in, there are never any flowers at the stones, no sign of anyone having been there, except to cut the grass. And after a little research, I realized the old burying ground is just that. First used in 1821, and no longer after 1971, it's essentially a museum. People might come here if they want to see where their pioneer ancestors were laid to rest, but no one comes to pay tribute to anyone they actually knew. It seems a peculiarly Western notion to remember people this way. They don't do this in Asia or Africa, do they? I mean, aside from the colonial Westerners buried there. A common phrase on these stones is sacred to the memory of in this case, Mary, the beloved wife of Mr. John Playfair, who departed this life June 1st, 1853, aged 60 years. 
And then there's a quote probably from scripture underneath, but it's not legible. Apparently, in a pragmatic and kind of touching approach, different denominations shared the land. The Catholics were buried along the Craig Street side, Presbyterians along Brock Street, and Protestants in the middle. I figured Presbyterians were Protestants anyway, but maybe my friends Lehman and Rachel can clue me in on the distinction. Perth being so heavily Scottish, I'm guessing the Presbyterians were in the great majority. But I was especially surprised to see one lone headstone with not a cross on it, but the Star of David. Almost all I could make out on it was the name Megiddon, which opens a whole other question about the presence of Jews in this part of Canada, settled mostly by British soldiers and Scotsmen after the War of 1812. There might be a paper in that, but if one stone in the whole cemetery is all we have to go on, it would be a short one. And sometimes there are stones that are older than any of the others, but for whatever reason, have remained in remarkably good shape. I'm looking at one belonging to a Richard Hogan, sacred to the memory of Richard Hogan, who departed this life January 22nd, 1831, aged 52 years, a native of County Kilkenny, Ireland, erected by his son, James Hogan. Maybe it has to do with which way the stone is facing. I'm sure the weather can be much worse coming from one side rather than the other. Actually, now that I look around, yeah, the stones that are facing this way, I can just see, are easier to read than the ones that face the other way. So you have to take all of these things into account. There are also some stones that are shall we say, planted close to the fence. And that's where all the trees happen to be and all the bushes and weeds. So eventually it looks like they get swallowed up. In fact, there might be some that I just can't see because they're hidden among the trees and the weeds and the bushes. So folks, if you're going to take this seriously, this being buried in the ground with a marble stone over your head to commemorate your existence... Stay away from the uh, fence line. Try to figure out which direction your stone should be pointed. Maybe make sure that the engraving will go deep enough so it will last longer than 50 years. Make it thick enough so teenagers can't come along and kick it over, break it in half. Or maybe rethink the whole thing altogether. Richard Hogan, by the way, missed some big news by dying in 1831. It was in 1833 that the last duel was fought in Canada, just up the road from the cemetery. Robert Lyon was a 20-year-old Scotsman who was apparently goaded into challenging fellow law student John Wilson to a duel over the affections of local school teacher Elizabeth Hughes. Yeah, I'll bet she was kin to Owen. Anyway, Lyon got some bad advice more than once. Not only did he get himself into this mess, both men missed their first shot. That could have ended it. But Lyon's second, Henri Lelievre, convinced him to try again. Wilson 
was the luckier, and Lyon ended up you-know-where. Wilson married the schoolteacher two years later. Well, look, just because I'm not sold on this whole burial thing doesn't mean I'm not grateful these places exist. It's a kind of entertainment, to put it crudely. And two centuries later, these folks are still thought of and discussed. I mean, immortality really is a sham, but that's pretty good, isn't it? Pretty Much, Episode 33, The Annotated Graveyard, written and read by Scott Clarkson, music by Garner Firebird. <laughs>